Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Hello, Dave Denholm with you on this beautiful Tuesday, December 13th. And what a day it was for the World Cup. We know one of the finalists now, the semifinal between Argentina and Croatia, finished earlier on the day, 3-0 Argentina, and it wasn't that close. That's amazing, but it's true. And that's taking nothing away from Croatia. Second semifinal in as many World Cups. They made the final in 2018. Great run by Zlatko Dalic and his men, including Luka Modric and the like, but it was just all the Argentines. You know, I've told you on this podcast, previous episodes, I believe Argentina, the country of Argentina, is the heartbeat of world football. It's just the most, I guess, just the most passionate. I mean, look, there's other countries that are right there. But they are the heartbeat of world football, and they are showing it in this World Cup. They're showing it on the pitch, too. And Lionel Messi, obviously leading the charge. What a tournament he's having. I saw, what, the Fox graphic? Five goals, three assists now, including on the Julian Alvarez goal to make it 3-0. He got things going, did Messi with a PK in the 34th. Lavakovic came out, got kind of stranded by his defense, and took down Julian Alvarez. I love the call because a lot of times they'll let those go in regular seasons or not big. The keeper, Lavakovic, just cleaned him out. Even though he had already got the shot away, a little you know flip over him, he could have still got that, that football. But Lavakovic cleaned him out. Now, it wasn't Lavakovic, you know, trying to do that. Obviously, he's not trying to commit a penalty there, but he just, his momentum took him into the offensive player, and it's a good call. And really, nobody complained that much other than the usual standard kind of whining about it a little bit, like every team does, just a little. And Croatia kind of took their medicine, and Lavakovic got a yellow card, and they were down 1 0. But it was the second goal. Alvarez breaking through again on a long ball right past the defense which we haven't seen Croatia break down like that. Because remember, the Brazil game, it took a thing of magic from Neymar, right, to make that 1-0. And then, of course, Croatia battled right back and then wins in the shootout. They only got a goal against Japan. This has been the problem for Croatia. What did I say yesterday when I previewed this game? 2-0 Argentina. And I felt it was because, A, Messi is playing great. Well, he did that again, goal and an assist. Including that third goal, you know, on the the assist on Alvarez's third goal for Argentina, Alvarez had the brace, and I also said Croatia have not been terribly clinical. That's my key word of this whole World Cup, right? Clinical. How about this for clinical? Nine shots for Argentina today, seven of them on goal, and three of them find the back of the net. In fact, Croatia outshot Argentina, but they only had two on goal, and it's been a problem for Croatia in this tournament. Barring that game where everything went well for them against Canada. Everything went right for them. Look at Croatia now. It's funny how you can sometimes look back and see the issues once they manifest themselves in just one game. If you, Unless you really wanted to look for them. And I kept saying, Croatia, is they're grown men. They're hard to beat. But their offense is not really clicking once you get to the final third. That's not how they're really even built. They don't come back from 2-0 or 3-0. That's just not going to happen. And look what happens in this tournament. Canada, the, the Canada game, they got four goals because everything went perfectly. And they played great. In six matches in this tournament, Croatia has now been shut out three times. They're not a dynamic offense. In the other two games, besides the Canada four-goal game, there were one goal each, Brazil and Croatia, or Japan in the knockout stage. Now, again, tough team to beat, but you've got to be able to have some offensive firepower by this time in the tournament, Right? You're not you're not you're not Spain if you know what in when they won the cup every game was one nil. I think that was what twenty ten? 
where Spain just kept 1-0 and just passing you to death with 75% possession. That's not who Croatia, they could not afford to get down in this match, and they did. And yes, my prediction was wrong. I said 2-0 Argentina, and it turned out 3-0. But I think my reasoning was correct. Argentina's been very clinical when they've gotten chances. Yes, a lot of that's because Lionel Messi. But Alvarez is certainly, Molina had a great finish in the previous match, right? Alvarez is doing well up front. I mean, they're clinical. They're, They're getting it done. And Croatia just didn't have the offense to do that today. And they really have an all tournament. They got as far as they could, and they did had a great run. They're tough to beat. They're a good team. But Argentina just on a different level in this tournament. Won't it be funny if the only team to beat Argentina in this tournament is Saudi Arabia? <laughs> right? Remember when we talked with our buddy Pablo Alcina, even after the Saudi Arabia game, as disappointed and down as he was, he said, hey, six wins. Go win six games in a row, Argentina. Well, technically a shootout is a tie, but they're getting it. They advanced in their one shootout and they're winning, right? Could they go and finish the job? And the only loss they would suffer is to Saudi Arabia on their first. It's possible. We've seen it before in the World Cup. They're there now. And they got every reason to think that no matter who gets there between France and Morocco, Argentina is going to feel very good about themselves. Now, that doesn't mean. That they're a shoe in to win this thing by any means. But man, what a story, huh? Messi. It almost makes me yearn for Ronaldo to still be alive in this thing just because Messi's now in the final. I mean, wouldn't it be? I, look, I love the Morocco story, and I kind of preferred that Morocco won because I always kind of like, if I don't have a real rooting interest, you know me, I love the underdog. And Morocco technically has been that throughout this. So that's fine. Like, I was happy that they won because they actually deserved it. You know, they're playing well, too. But, oh, what a story. Can you imagine what tomorrow would be like if Ronaldo was still alive? Even if he's not starting, like, just that messy Ronaldo would still be alive. But, I mean, any story we get now. I heard somebody talking about that. Who was it? Oh, man. I'm an old man, and my mind is deceiving me now. I believe it's somebody I follow on Twitter. Franklin Leonard referenced it. Frank and Leonard are the blacklist, if you know Hollywood, which we all do here in L.A. But he uh, he referenced something. I don't know if it was his original po- – I, I apologize, but it was on Twitter where somebody had like the story. Or it might have been one of the big you know, ESPN type or whatever. What is the storyline for each team? And they were all magnificent, really, even in the final eight, right? Even in the quarterfinal, it was like any of the storylines are brilliant if the, well, that team was going to get to the final, whether it's – now, Kylian Mbappe winning a second with France. Like, and that team, you know, not just Kylian Mbappe. I shouldn't just say that because France is really good. Could they win a second in a row? That never happens, does it? I mean, really? I mean, I know it has, but uh, that's amazing. Morocco, we don't even have to talk about how ridiculous that would be. Even Croatia was an awesome story, of course. I mean, they could have been to a second straight final, and if they would have won it, improving on 2018. and I mean, That's amazing. And then Messi, you know, and Argentina. After getting Copa America for him, essentially, that's how they kind of rallied around him. Now they could be doing it in the World Cup, and it might be his last. Oh, the storylines are dripping out of these games. I mean, they're just amazing. And one better than the other, right? I mean, it doesn't really even... If you're an absolute neutral, hard to be, really, in sports at times. But if you're a complete neutral now, 
let's say your favorite team is Mexico or U.S. or can't, and you just happen to now be a complete neutral. The storylines are still magnificent, and that's what's awesome. It doesn't really matter at this point, right? The storylines when you get to a semifinal, not always they're not always this dramatic, even though you're in the semifinal. A lot of times it's just that the semifinal takes care of itself because you are that far into a World Cup. The stories become big. But these stories are big. And Argentina, well, they put an end to the Croatia story. And how did they do it? Well, they just were, were relentless. Absolutely relentless. Again, Croatia had a lot of the football, but just doesn't come of much. Like Nothing comes much of it. And Argentina just were patient. And once they got the lead, you know, I heard, I was watching the Fox broadcast, John Strong, Stu Holden, and John Strong made an interesting point late in the match, and he asked Stu Holden the question, and I'm paraphrasing, but he kind of asked it like, did it ever to you feel like Croatia was going to win this thing, ever, in this match? And it never did, even before it was, you know, 1-0. That's how thoroughly dominant I thought Argentina was, and more importantly for Argentina, I don't know that maybe even Pablo Alcina or a diehard Argentine would agree with me, but and maybe I'll ask Mario. Mario, my producer. Mario, you know what I'm noticing about Argentina in this tournament? What's that? Even in the Saudi Arabia match, right? Yeah. It didn't start out well. They're not panicking. No. They're not. They're not. Now, look, we saw Paredes fire a ball into the Netherlands bench when it was obviously you know a tight game, and that was stupid. That was not smart. He should have been red carded with a second yellow. I mean— but they're not panicking within a game. Even when it's not going well or it's not, you know, 2-0 already or a, like yeah, that was a tough test against the Netherlands. They almost got knocked out, but they're not panicking. This is not a team that to me feels like they're so desperately weighed down by the pressure. And again, I like and I hearken it back to maybe it's because they won the Copa America. Again, it's not the World Cup, but it is I mean, Copa America is massive, especially for countries like Argentina, Brazil. I mean, for the Comey Ball. I mean, that is almost the World Cup for them. So maybe it just feels different to me. But Argentina, Mario, just feels like they're, if not in control, they're not panicking ever. Yeah, when you have a leader like Messi, and that's the leader to, to follow that example. Yeah. It's a pretty good leader to follow right there. I mean, it must be. I mean, maybe it calms you down, too. Like, let's just, you know, I once heard... Uh, some of the French team, when Zidane was, uh, Zidane was at the height of his powers, right? And they're winning the World Cup. And one of the French players, I don't know, it was a great player. It might have been Byzantine Lisa Razou, who actually said, like, when we get in trouble, we just turn around and look for Messi, or for <laughs> Messi, look for Zidane, and he just takes care of it. You know, like it's. Oh, he would control the entire pitch. Yeah. I mean, and these are great players surrounding all these guys. And yet they still look to those players to be like, okay. Here's Zidane, get us out of trouble here, you know, like you're, you're, you're like at a different level. And when you have Messi, things, pardon the pun, it's terrible, but things don't get particularly messy for you as a team when you have Lionel Messi. I mean, he just can make everything better. I mean, just, and that is, that's what Croatia, as good as Luka Modric is, he's not that finishing factor at the end of a play, right? And they just didn't have it. And they really didn't have it all tournament. Again, other than the Canadian game where a lot of individual plays went brilliantly for Croatia, and they look great. They just they scored two goals in the other five matches. Two. Now, they got through those games because they happened to be both knockout stages, both won on penalties, and they deserved it because they were amazing defensively. But, man, once they started getting broken down defensively by a team like Arden, there's no coming back. 
And again, that's credit to Argentina, but I just think it was also a weakness of Croatia that I saw. And Argentina exploited it. And you, to exploit that, you got to get up and get goals. And Argentina were clinical and absolutely fully deserved it. Hey, uh, here, still to come, we're going to be talking with one of our favorites, Hercules Gomez from ESPN and Football Americas. Coming up next, Road to the Cup with Dave Denholm. This is ESPN LA. It's Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Back with you. And we were joined by a, a very special guest. We love talking to him, the great Hercules Gomez from ESPN and Football Americas, one of the best shows that you can watch. Go out there on ESPN Plus and check that out. He's been covering the World Cup from Qatar. And let me ask you this, Hercules. Let's start with the game today, Herc. Argentina, wow. I mean, Lionel Messi's playing at a different level, but he's got help now, too. Talk about this matchup and what happened today with Argentina, especially. Hey, Dave, always good to be on with you. Yeah, I mean, the story is Lionel Messi. The story is this Argentina going through and, and the, the fashion, the way that the manner they go through. Um, and you mentioned he's got help. I, I can't understate how just brilliant Scaloni's been. There's a plan B, there's a plan C. We saw against the Netherlands, against the more experienced coach in Van Gaal, how he mirrored that tactical setup and went three in the back. Alexander Martinez comes in. And now, uh, in this matchup versus a very stingy, very gritty, uh, with some quality, Croatia, uh, he goes to a 4-4-2. And in that 4-4-2, you have Paul, you have Paredes, you have Fernandez and McAllister in the midfield. A few players with a lot of quality on the ball, but all really good players in terms of their work rate, in terms of how they set up defensively. Almost felt like you had four defensive midfielders in the midfield, which really freed up a lot for Lionel Messi to do what he does. And Julian Alvarez, what can you say about this guy? Uh, he's the number two at Man City behind Erling Haaland. And nobody really thinks of him because you have Erling Haaland there. He comes here, and he's supposed to be number two behind Lautaro Martinez. And it, nobody thinks of him until he plays. And then he scores one goal. Then he scores another. And he comes up with two. I, I mean, he's one of the youngest players to reach four goals in World Cup history. I believe he's tied now with only Pipita Higuain, who's his, you know, uh, paisano, if you will, his, his patriarch. So it, he really comes out of nowhere, if you will, to be that Robin to, to be Messi's Batman. But it's, it's a Lionel Messi turning back the clock, a player that is literally in his last dance, has, has made it clear, has made it known um, that he thinks this will be it with this Argentina. And just everything he's been doing, I mean, he's five goals now at five goals, and you say what you will about them being penalty kicks, but we've seen in this World Cup, you've got to make the penalty kick. It's one thing that it's a penalty kick, but you got to put it in the back of the net. Pressure moments, doing what he does, uh, attracting players, beating players off the dribble, flashes of that old Messi in those Barcelona years, uh, flashes of that Messi in 2014 where he was the best player in, in that tournament in the World Cup, taking him to a final. Uh, this is Messi, prime Messi, the Messi that everybody wanted to see with a twist. We've never seen this Messi, Dave. We've never seen this Messi emotionally. Uh, a Messi that's challenging his teammates, that's challenging opponents, that's talking trash that's getting emotional, uh, the anti-Pecho Frio, because that's what he's been labeled as uh, at the majority of his career with Argentina, is maybe not having enough fire compared to some of the Argentine players of the past. That's out the window. This is a totally new Messi, a Messi who wants all the smoke uh, and really uh, one for the ages. 
totally spot on. Hercules Gomez here from ESPN and, of course, Football Americas. A brilliant show. Check out his work there, no doubt about it. Uh, Herc, it's not going to be easy for Argentina. We looked to France or Morocco. Certainly either one of these teams could beat Argentina. Uh, what a matchup for tomorrow. How do you see this one playing out? Oh, man. This is difficult. What, what do we go with? Are we just going to go with talent over a team that's just belief, discipline, uh, that's that's gritty, that's very difficult to play against, that defensively is more than sound. They've given up one goal. That, that's, a, that's a reality. They've given up one goal, and it was to Canada, and it ended up being an own goal. I don't know what to make of this game because France has, I don't want to say underwhelmed, um, but they were outplayed for a long stretch over those 90 minutes versus England. Once uh, once Chouameni scored that goal, it was pretty much all England. And then it was Giroud scores and, and back to reality games over. Um, I don't know what type of game we're going to get. That's my only interest here because we were talking to uh, Julian Laurent uh, here on ESPN FC, and he was saying how France don't really like having that role of the protagonist, the role of, of the favorite. They like being underdogs, and that's kind of weird to say because they're World Cup champions. They're defending World Cup champions. But when you look at this team from Morocco, Bono and Goal is letting one goal. You've got Hakimi on the right. You, you've got guys like Amrabat in the middle. You've got Onai, who, who we've seen what he can do. I mean, Luis Enrique literally was singing his praises uh, after the Spain game. you got Ziyech, who's on all levels. You have uh, Enesrae, who, who's scored some goals already, who's a lot to deal with. Buffal on the sideline, who I'm sure Llorente is still having nightmares of. They're just a very difficult team to play against. There are no spaces between those lines. They make it so difficult on you. And we've seen uh, what good maybe one, one, one uh, versus one defending uh, can do to the French team. We didn't really see a lot from Dembele. We didn't see a lot from Kylian Mbappe versus England. Kyle Walker doing very good there. Luke Shaw holding his own, if you will, um, the way they supported each other, that English team. So maybe this Moroccan team could eliminate eliminate those spaces. And you know how dangerous they could be on the attack and the break. And they're a team that's proven to score goals off the set pieces. It's just the league is a very difficult thing to play against, a very difficult thing to eliminate. I just don't know if it's a case of Croatia, if you will, where Croatia did what they could for as long as they could in this tournament, but they eventually broke they succumbed to to what is the fitness factor you saw a team in argentina that overwhelmed in the midfield you saw limited service or limited impact from luka modric who wasn't the same player and you, you saw maybe that gas tank a little on me and argentina take advantage of it and i just don't know if that's going to be the case against the morocco how long can they can they survive playing that way it's been very good and fun to watch if i'm being honest i've, I've appreciated that type of football i know there are a lot of people that say it's anti-football but i I enjoy seeing a commitment. I enjoy seeing a group, you know, with, with such uh, purpose. Um, I don't know what this game will look like. If it's you're telling me that you need playmakers to win this game, okay, it's France. But if the French team can't unlock this team and it's a 0-0 game heading into the 60th minute, I don't know how Morocco loses. I really don't. Yeah, I kind of I'm with you there. I think if it's one nil, it's Morocco, and if it's somehow three one, we know I think France is the team that's going to win that game. We're talking with Hercules Gomez. Her, Herc, let me end you, end you right here, real quick. Uh, last question for me: 
what's going to go on with the U.S.? You've had some powerful statements about all this with Burhalter, and now we know Gio Reyna and all that. Where where do we go from here? I contend that we just can't continue with Greg Burhalter. Not that he even did that bad of a job, but it's just time to move on, and I think this even just tells me even more so. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, Dave. Um, I don't know what to what to make of this team going forward um, because of the federation who's in charge. We've not seen Ernie Stewart, uh, Brian McBride in this position before, having to make this type of decision. Um, part of part of me thinks that Greg Berhalter wants out that he's looking for, in his eyes, greener pastures, a, a, a club-level job, if you will. Um, something that for him, you speak to anybody who's close to him, he's very keen on. And maybe that's why this leaked, if you will, this came out there, and maybe why he wouldn't have a problem leaving said program. But it's very difficult for me, with everything I've been hearing in and out of camp, um, to one, believe that a, a player would be okay with their head coach, regardless of where he said it, saying this type of thing uh, about a player. It kind of betrayed the code of the locker room. But I've also heard that there were some players that were backing him or being so stern and being so upfront with Gio during said situation. And to an extent, there, there's there's got to be something said to how he handled it in certain moments. I think he was trying to protect Gio. I really do. Everything after that he handled very poorly. And I think I'm in the same boat with you, um, just in this situation, that there's no coming back from. But in general, I think he he did what he was supposed to do in, one, qualifying the team for the World Cup, and two, getting out of the group, because those are the goals that were set up for him. But if you tell me he's the person to take this program to the next level, a level that's capable of doing something special in 2026, something more than the fourth game, I'm talking quarterfinals at least as a host country, I don't think he is your person, so I would say move on. He doesn't need to tell me. He doesn't need me to tell him this, but I'm telling you, the listener, this. Hercules Gomez, one of the best, always delivers great stuff. Check him out on ESPN, of course, and Football Americas. If you're a football fan, you're probably already watching it and all over it. Hercules, thanks so much for taking the time, Herc. Enjoy the rest of your time there in Qatar, and uh, be safe, man. I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks so much, man. Always one of the best, Hercules Gomez. We really appreciate his time here on Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA continues on. Don't forget, if you ever miss anything, like the interview with Hercules Gomez or any of the interviews we've done over, uh, we had a great interview with uh, Getty Images photographer Matty Meyer on yesterday's show. That was awesome if you want to go check that out. And I'll even say, I think that one is Monday show. I think it's around the 34-minute mark in case you're interested. Go back and podcast and you can get your podcast on ESPNLA.com, or I'm sorry, ESPNLA, the, the app that ESPNLA has. And uh, don't forget that. And that's also uh, powered by our good friends at Estrella Jalisco, this whole, uh, this whole thing we do here on Road to the Cup. We appreciate Estrella Jalisco. They've been a great partner with us. And again, if you miss an interview or something, you can go back and listen to them on the podcasts, wherever you get your pods, or at ESPNLA, the app. Uh, check those out. We really appreciate you doing that. Uh, once again, we move on in the semifinals tomorrow as well. We already know Argentina awaits the winner. They get an extra day's rest, which probably doesn't hurt a mid-30s Lionel Messi at all. Although he's looking like he's mid-20s now, the way he's playing. So it's France and Morocco, and what a story this is, right? If you've known me in the soccer world, you know, I've done Soccer Weekly here on ESPN LA. Uh, certainly, uh, you follow maybe you follow me with the voice of LAFC here on ESPN LA, but you've known I talk about 
you know that I talk about Morocco and really Casablanca specifically as one of the best footballing cities in the world. Uh, Raja and Wida, uh, the derby there, the two clubs there. Oh, my goodness. It is sick. Sick. You will go down a YouTube rabbit hole if you go try to find some uh, all the things that those fans do. The highlights of their ultras and all the fans. Holy cow. So Morocco is one of the best footballing nations in the world for their passion. In fact, they've tried to host the World Cup. You know, they've wanted to host it. Who knows? Maybe uh, they will get that opportunity in the future. But here they are. And, you know, if you look at this team, is it a complete team? Like, is it a you know, completely dominant type team? No. They don't have the offensive firepower necessarily, right? And that could scare you. But this defense is absolutely on another level. Is, is France the team that's going to be able to unlock them? Because nobody has. You've heard me talk about the stats. Let's do it again here. 390 minutes played against the likes of Spain, Belgium, Croatia, and Portugal. Teams that were, you know, considered pretty darn good. Zero goals allowed in 390 minutes. They gave up one goal this tournament in five matches so far, and that was a weird own goal on a cross that hit the defender, a Canadian cross like down the left wing, hit the defender and ricocheted to the near post past the keeper. Bono, Bono has been spectacular, but it had no chance on it. It was like a, like it was almost like this, the ball gained speed after it hit the defender to the near post. That's the kind of weird goal they've given up, and that has been it. So let's break this down. France has been dynamic, right? They've been offensive. They can defend you still. They are a complete team. They're the defending stinking champs for Crenella. What a run they're on if you add in 2018, right? Here they are again. Whether or not they go any further, they're in the semifinals again. I mean, it's amazing. And there's a reason for that. First of all, the reason for that, one of them is their manager, Didier Deschamps. Walid Regragui for Morocco has been amazing. and he, What a story. He what, came on just three months before the World Cup, after they had gotten rid of their other manager, their manager before him. I mean, but Deschamps has been there, right? I, I don't know if there's a real advantage there. I mean, you could say Deschamps has been through it, and he has, so maybe there's a bit of an advantage with that. But, you know, I thought that was Lako Dalic of Croatia. And again, not that Dalic did really anything wrong today. It's just Argentina were the better team. But I, if I had to look at an advantage, maybe it's a slightest uptick for Deschamps just because he's been there. But Regragui has not put a foot wrong as a manager for Morocco in this tournament, clearly. Goalkeeping, Hugo Lloris and Bono, you got to give it to Morocco. Bono's been playing great. Lloris has been known to occasionally make the old bonehead play. It happens for the best keepers in the world. But I would, regardless of that, Hugo Lloris is a great shot stopper, great goalkeeper, but I'd have to give a slight advantage to Morocco there. Defensively, well, I mean, how could you say Morocco? I know there's some injuries there. Is Saez really 100%? But you do have Ashraf Hakimi on the right wing. And if, you know, whoever they brought into Morocco, they've had some injuries in the middle of defense, in the center of defense, I should say, in the back line. It doesn't matter. How can you not give them an advantage defensively? Although, I mean, look, you've got Varane, you've got Hernandez, Koundé, Lupa Meccano. I mean, France can defend. So, again, these are, these are razor-thin margins now. The closer you get to a final, because these teams are just that good. Slight advantage again to Morocco, though. 
Midfield, I mean, Schumann, I mean, the goal there by him in that goal, Schumann, was that goal was incredible against England. I don't know how he got the power on that thing. The way he just, it was almost like he just half swung his leg and it just a rocket. And Rabio and Griezmann's playing great. Don't get me wrong. But the way Amrabat, Unahi's playing for uh, Morocco as well, those two, I mean, I think it's a push. I really do. Amrabat's just been at a different level. Now, it's mostly defensive, and he's helped out. Uh, Unahi's maybe a little bit more able to get, well, certainly able to get more forward and get into the attack. But the way they defend, too, I mean, I think it's a push. But up front, again, when you get to this point in the tournament, right, France can certainly defend. They've got all the pieces in the back. But up front, this is where France has the advantage. Not to say, and Nesri, Buffal, and uh, Ziyech aren't playing well for Morocco, but they're not really built to go that way. They're not going to have 65% of the ball and just build up and dominate you off. And not that they're not good players up there, and they get the job done. I would not be shocked by any means if Morocco gets the job done and continues this run. But Mbappe, Giroud, Dembele... Now, France is not particularly, like, they're not the deepest team. I mean, I, I know people disagree with me that on some level. They haven't had much off their bench to me that really wows me. Not that they're not a good player. I mean, they're good players, but they're not. This team needs their, you know, 11 or 12 players. They're small rotation. But, boy, are they good. <laughs> I mean, how can you argue? Kylian Mbappe, Giroud, Dembele. I mean, just so much talent. Then you get Griezmann coming in and helping out and really getting forward. I just don't know, again, if Morocco is going to have enough to finish, you know, close out a game or get the goals they need against a team who's likely going to get goals. And it's very similar to what I felt about this Argentina-Croatia match. Not because I don't want Morocco to win. I, if I'm being perfectly honest, I'm going to be rooting for Morocco. Now, again, France is a great story too. Fabulous players. Mbappe is on the verge of kind of being that next the greatest, you know what I mean? The next, the greatest player. But I want Morocco to win for the story. Messi versus Morocco in a final. Argentina-Morocco would be a ridiculous final in its own right. Certainly Argentina-France will be dripping with uh, storylines as well. But I want Morocco in. However, my my head says it's France, 2-0. And it may look very similar to this match. Except for the fact I think Morocco is a little better defensively even than Croatia. So you might see, it might be tougher for him. And hey, if Morocco gets a goal, and if they get the first goal, why can't they do what they did to Portugal? Right? Because it wasn't as though Morocco just had 50-50 possession, scored a goal, they played... Look, they gave the ball to Portugal, who could do nothing to break them down. They could get a goal against France. If they get the first goal, maybe they'll just say, hey, come on and beat us. And you know what else they could say? Because nobody else has. And if you're good enough to do it, France, then we'll shake your hand and uh, send you off to the final on Sunday. Well, guess what? I think France is good enough to do it. So I'm going to pick France 2-0. But, man... Nothing nothing could possibly surprise you out of this. If you're sitting around now and you call yourself a football fan 
and you're still like, well, France is just so superior. Morocco has no chance. I mean, what are you doing? You're just, you're just either stupid or you're just willfully, purposefully ignorant about it. I mean, because Morocco clearly can win. Then they can win the whole thing, right? But that doesn't mean they're going to. And I, I still believe France just has too much. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, in that final, if I'm if I'm looking ahead and I do believe France wins, and if they do, oh my goodness, Argentina, France, who knows? All bets are off, right? But in this case, I just think there's just a little too much up front. And if you really think about it, all the little advantages I gave along the way pretty much were Morocco's advantages, slightly. Defensively, goalkeeping, midfield even, kind of even, but maybe you lean toward, but it's the up front there. And when they're gonna, if France is gonna have enough of the ball, can you keep Kylian Mbappe off the score sheet for ninety minutes? Wow! If they have a lot of possession, can you really keep Giroud and Mbappe and Dembele from breaking you down enough? I just don't know. I mean, I know Morocco's defense is good. I don't see anybody being able to shut down this France team if they if you give them a lot of the possession, which Morocco likely will. I mean, I'm not going to be completely shocked, but yeah. I'm going to go France 2-0. Mbappe will get it done. It'll probably be him and Giroud scoring a goal each and just grinding it out. And then I don't think Morocco, if you know, if if France gets up like 2-0, 50th minute, and they want to back away and hit you on the counter, I mean, I don't think Morocco's got enough to really even get enough out of possession, even if France were to allow them to possession, if that makes sense. So it's going to have to go really to script for Morocco. How can Morocco win this game? What will it look like for me? Well, it would look, I mean, nil-nil, right? And they can get to a penalty shootout. That is one way they could win. It's not a great recipe, but that is a possibility. They would probably have a better chance to win nil-nil than beating France, certainly 3-2 or you know that kind of thing. Or 1-0, right? Maybe it looks like the Portugal matches I talked about. Those are the ways Morocco can win. France can beat you in a lot of different ways. They can win 1-0. They can win 4-0 or 4-1 or 5-3 if you want to go play that kind of game, which, again, Morocco doesn't. But, heck, they won a World Cup final winning 4-2, which we haven't seen. You know, those are usually not the scores you see in a world. You know, it's usually a little tighter than that, but France doesn't care. So it's everything to play for tomorrow. Cannot wait. Going to be an amazing match. I'm going to be rooting as if I'm Moroccan blood flowing through me, really, to be perfectly honest. I really am because I love the story. Again, taking nothing away from France. I mean, I got no real beef with them winning again if they do. But, I mean, how can you not want Morocco? How can you? I mean, realistically, it's going to be weird if Morocco wins and they get to a final with Messi because then it's like, oh, man, I mean – I almost rather be Morocco Croatia if Morocco was going to make it, you know, like because then you're like, hey, I like Croatia, fine, good story, but ah, you know, I mean, come on, don't we really want Morocco to win this stinking thing? I mean, doesn't that just open up like a world of possibilities, seemingly, and you're in everybody's mind, really? Long way to go, I know, but that would be awesome. So let's. Uh, that's what I'm rooting for, but my head says. 2-0 France. Hey, uh, I don't know what my head says about Giovanni Reyna. And more of this stuff coming out yesterday, right? Reyna, 
I'll have a, a he had an Instagram post where he kind of talked about it yesterday. We got to keep talking about it. I mean, it is a big thing. And it does, you know, affect the future. And the future is now for Gio Reyna, but it also affects the future in 2026 for the United States of the World Cup potentially. All that and more. We got stoppage time coming up. It's Road to the Cup. I'm Dave Dunholm. This is ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Dunholm back with you here in the uh, final segment of the show. Don't forget, we're every Monday through Friday. Plus, we'll have a special edition on Sunday after the World Cup. We'll uh, also have the final show that day, wrapping this whole thing up. And what a World Cup it's been. It, unless you're Giovanni Reyna in the United States, it's almost getting worse than the World Cup actually was for the U.S. The U.S. did all right. Not great, but we did all right. Got out of the group. Tough game against the Netherlands in the round of 16. But, you know, not bad. But it's getting almost worse after the fact. And uh, the whole Greg Berhalter, Giovanni Reyna saga continues. Yesterday on Instagram, Reyna, if you hadn't heard, if you had, you know, Reyna put out a uh, Instagram post where he kind of outlined some of his disappointments. I'll read a little bit of it here. This is, uh, you know, he talked about like he didn't want to talk. I'm kind of paraphrasing the first part where he didn't really want to talk about this stuff. That they should, you know, things that happen on a team should remain private, he says. That makes sense, right? And then he says, that being said, statements have been made that reflect on my professionalism and character, so I feel the need to make a brief statement. Okay, I can live with that. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Raina basically tells us in this Instagram post that Burhalter, Greg Burhalter, the manager of the U.S., told him before the tournament that his role would be, and I'm quoting his thing, very limited. So that's interesting there. I don't know what the, you know, if this is true, I mean, I have no reason to doubt Gio Reyna saying this. Why would Greg Berhalter tell an attacking player? Now, I mean, I'm not saying you don't talk to your player, but very limited? That's, I mean, I mean, I guess if you've made that decision, but why bother telling a guy that? Are you, do you think he's going to be like, okay, unless you feel like it's the only way that maybe he'll be able to accept it by the time it happens, where you can kind of get him more comfortable with the roll off the bench or... You know, but apparently it didn't go too well. So I'm not saying even, look, if Burhalter decides that, maybe that is the right thing to do. But to me, it's more like, look, what I would tell a guy is not very limited. I'm going to be like, we got other, we're going to go with this starting lineup. You're probably not going to start the first game. Just start it with the first game. But man, we look forward to you coming off the bench to really, you know, give us a boost if we need it in the second half. We're going to probably need it. We may well. That's how this team plays. We're not running away from anybody, right? Wales in that first game, were we expecting to beat them 4-0? Probably not. So you tell the guy, look, man, I can't wait to look down on the bench when I need something in the second half. It's going to be you, right? You don't say, well, you're going to be very limited. <laughs> and I, again, that, who knows? Maybe Reyna's like not using the exact phrasing that Burhalter did. I don't want to speak, but that's what Gio Reyna says in his Instagram post. I'll go with it. Yikes. Not ideal. Here's another thing. Why'd you bring the guy then? Now, again, maybe his attitude wasn't great after that, and he alludes to that. Let's talk about this. Here's his second paragraph. Raina says, I'm a very emotional person. I fully acknowledge that I let my emotions get the best of me and affect my training and behavior for a few days after learning about my limited role. Okay. That's wrong. He knows it. He said it. He's 20. And, but, you know, frankly, 
he does say he went on to apologize and everything, and he shook off, you know, he gave it his, you know, everything he had after that. In a lot of ways, the more you look at it, it's not really, I don't think anybody's got a huge amount of blame here for how things were handled in a weird way. I mean, yes, Reyna should be more professional right from the jump, okay? But also, Burhalter, once he apologizes, right, then it still goes back to the fact that Burhalter really didn't like him as a player that much, realistically. So I can take all that away. Because once he apologizes, Burhalter said that was good. He apologized. He did use him, right? But he still looked at him as not, like, he wasn't starting him. He wasn't, like, what are you seeing out of this team that you thought that Giovanni Reyna couldn't really help you as much as some of these other guys is my big question for Burhalter. Now, again, that's his managerial prerogative, but I'm just saying it's wrong. Burr, you know, Reyna's better. So, yeah, you might not like the way he responded, and maybe you punish him, you know, a little, like, not a little bit, but you get my point. Maybe you don't certainly uh, you hold it against him for a game or something, you know, but he did apologize. And again, we can talk about his professionalism or lack thereof, but you're still trying to win. You still spend four years building up to this. So even if I'm a player who hates how Giovanni Reyna's acting on the team, if I'm a U.S. player on the team and I'm like, this guy, I don't like the way he's acting, well, when he apologizes, your focus must now be, well, how are we going to win? What's the best way to win? And sometimes I think we as the United States get a little too caught up in the how it's the right thing to do as a professional and he there has to be a price to pay for like that. We're all so we're so rigid. Now again, that doesn't mean Gio Reyna should be like once he apologizes, oh, right into the starting lineup he goes. No, there's consequences. I understand that, but come on. We're gro- all grown men here. We're trying to win a World Cup. I know that it was poor behavior. He apologized. Make him pay for it a little bit. Don't just give him a free ride. And, you know, Reyna went on to say he was disappointed in the sense that that Burhalter always kind of talked about how that stuff has to stay, and and Reyna used the quotes, in-house. So he wasn't too happy about how it got out. And, you know, I can't argue with her. Now, people are trying to cover their rear. You know, that happens too. And again, Gio, sorry, you're a grown man. You're a professional. I know you're 20 years old, so maybe maybe you're still a kid, yes, but you are a professional, so you shouldn't have let this kind of, you know, happen, quote unquote. But it did, and he did apologize. I mean, it's it's a mess, but it's also just kind of like, you know, I I don't I can't blame Burhalter for, you know, making sure that Reyna doesn't get off just completely free after that but I also don't want to I just don't want Burhalter around to hold it against someone else or to do these kind I just he's done for me not again not because he was even necessarily you know wrong in this situation but it goes back to that and again Gio Reyna is the future or a part of our future so he's got to get his head on straight and hopefully this really does kind of shake him up to where he makes the right decision going forward to use it as a positive and not a negative. That'll be the key. Because there's no telling that the next guy is going to be any better for Giovanni Reyna if he doesn't sharpen up his attitude. And let's hope he learned his lesson because it's a painful lesson to learn at the World Cup, no doubt about it. 
All right, time now for stoppage time with the great Mario Reese. Dave, I want to take it back to the star of the World Cup. The star of actually the world at this time right now is Lionel Messi. Yeah. <laughs> Messi wins his fourth Man of the Match award at the 2022 uh, World Cup, and no player has more than Messi. Now, my main question to you, the question, capital T-H-E-E, does Messi have to win the World Cup to go down as the greatest of all time? Yes, but I don't know that even if he wins the World Cup that you would automatically say he's the greatest, if that makes sense. I'm starting to believe more and more that I, you, can't, you can't put him on a different level from Pele, Maradona, even like Cristiano Ronaldo, unless he were to win it. like Then you can maybe make the argument. I don't know that I would still make that argument because Maradona won a World Cup. Pele was a world champ. No, I know Cristiano Ronaldo's not. But so to me, if he doesn't win, you can't, you certainly can't like move him over those guys. But I don't know that he's any worse. Like, I don't know that he isn't better than them. Like, I don't know how you can play soccer better than Messi does or has in his career. I've seen Maradona, haven't seen Pele live, obviously. But so I'm not saying he's better than those guys, even if you watch him. But I don't know how you can play football better than he does either. So it's weird. I, in other words, if he wins, I have no problem with somebody saying he is the best because I've seen it. And yet I don't know that even if he wins, I can go that far with what I've seen out of Maradona and then, of course, the legend of Pele. And, you know, so it's just it's a tough one, Mario. Like I think if he doesn't pull this off, yeah, you really can't put him ahead of Maradona or Pele. Right, I don't think you can because he just didn't quite win a World Cup. It's not to say he isn't just as good a player, but it's the weird thing about winning championships we all have for some reason. You know, I mean, maybe El Mágico is the greatest footballer of all time, but he just didn't care that much to go out and try to win, you know, Champions Leagues or whatever. He stayed at Cadiz and he was played for El Salvador and dragged them to the World Cup. You know, like amazingly, maybe he's the best player ever, right? I don't know. I like what do you I, literally? What do you think of that? Answer your own question. There is he the best? Bottom line, I'll say that I won't be able to argue if you want to give him the best best title, Mario. I'm saying I, I agree with you on the whole thing. Where if you don't win it, if you don't win the championship, if you're not the champion, then you can't be the greatest. I totally agree with that. Yeah, hard to say that. Hard to say you're the greatest. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, I agree. Because of the level Maradona and Pele were at, like they did it. You know, and then some. So, like, there are people who you can compare him to then. You know, like, if there was people who weren't that great and maybe he just didn't win one or he was, you know, playing for a country that had no capability to win it, then you could maybe still argue that Messi would. But Pele and Maradona went out and did it on it, all levels. It's hard you know, to, like, I mean, to compare eras. It's hard to compare greatest of all time from one era to another era. And I think if he does, if yeah. Messi does win it, he is the greatest of all time alongside Maradona. So both of them That's alongside fine. each other, the greatest. Fine by me. It's, it's too hard, hard to answer is what we're saying. Enjoy it. Just like you enjoy this show every day. Thank you, Mario. I am Dave Denholm. Thank you again for uh, being with us. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Road to the Cup on ESPN LA.